Let's begin Surah An-Nisa. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Lesson number 54, Surah An-Nisa, ayah number 1 to 6. Surah An-Nisa is a Madni Surah. And that means that it was revealed after the Hijrah. Madni Surah does not mean it was revealed in the city of Medina. But what does it mean? That it was revealed after the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina. So it could have been revealed in the city, it could have been revealed outside the city. So it's about the era, the time, not the place. And Madni Surahs, as you know, they have long verses, just like Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Ali Imran. Some verses are so long that they cover an entire page. There's only one verse of the Qur'an that covers an entire page of the Mus'haf. Other verses cover an entire line, or two lines, or three, or four, or five, sometimes even seven. So verses are long in general. And what's the content? What's the message that is contained in these verses? We learn about various adab, and akhlaq, and ibadat. Adab, meaning manners and etiquette. Ibadat, acts of worship. And thirdly, we learn about akhlaq, manners. Okay? Why is it so? Because... In these surahs, who is being addressed mainly? The believers. Because when the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, then who were the people around him? Who were the people around him? Mostly the Muslims. In Mecca, there were also mushrikeen. Alright? In Medina, there were mainly Muslims. They were being trained. So this is the reason why we learn about various commands, various etiquette, various rulings. And this is the reason why in this surah also, we will learn about many instructions pertaining to family life, pertaining to laws of inheritance. Okay? So these are the kind of instructions that we will learn. This surah is also called Surah Al-Adl, Rahma, The surah of justice and mercy. Why do you think so? Because when Allah revealed the laws pertaining to social matters, the society, then obviously with the laws of Allah, what was established? Justice that those people who were deprived in society were finally being granted their rights. Women who had no share of property, of inheritance, were finally being given their rights. An orphan whose father passed away, even if the father left a great estate for him, still the orphan would get nothing of his father's property. So Allah revealed the surah, granting the rights to who? To the weak. Granting the rights to who? To the oppressed to those who are not heard. So this is the reason why the surah is known as Al-Adl wa rahma because the rights of the weak are mentioned. And why do you think it's called Suratun nisa Who are An-Nisa? The women. And we see that in many societies, whether it's a society that's not modern, or a society that is modern, or even post-modern, we see that women are oppressed, they are deceived, they are betrayed, they are cheated, they are used, they are misused. Sometimes in the name of freedom. Sometimes by oppression. There are various ways through which women are oppressed in different societies. And who is the creator of women? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who loves them? Allah. And this is the reason why He grants them their rights as well. And what are the rights of women? Inshallah we will learn about many of them in the surah. So this is the reason why it's called An-Nisa. And we also see that a family, it revolves around who? A woman, a mother, a wife, correct? 
This is what a family is about. A family is not possible unless the mother is there. Even if there is a father with his kids, what's missing? The mother is missing. Right? The father, if he's not around, still the kids can survive. Little children can survive. Right? Because the mother is there to fulfill their needs. Someone else will fulfill their financial needs, their physical needs, whatever. But the emotional needs that the mother fulfills, that the woman fulfills, no one else can. Right? So the family revolves around the woman. And this surah also teaches many lessons pertaining to social reform. And that is not possible until who is reformed? The woman is reformed. So this is the reason why it's called An-Nisa as well. And we see that in this surah, relationships are mentioned, relationships that exist between people through blood, through marriage, and related matters concerning mahar, concerning inheritance, all of them are mentioned. Also in the surah, we will learn about the munafiqeen, hypocrisy, such matters are also discussed. So let's begin the surah. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Ya ayyuhannas, O people, O mankind. Earlier we read, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu. Over here Allah addresses who? Ya ayyuhannas, O people. Every single individual, every single human being, whether male or female, child or adult, educated or not, no matter what background, no matter what culture, what ethnicity, what status, it doesn't matter. Even religion, it doesn't matter whether a person is a believer or a non-believer. Allah addresses everyone over here. Ya ayyuhan nas, O mankind, O people, ittaqu rabbakum. Fear your Lord. Whether you believe in Him or not, He is still your Lord. Whether you worship Him or not, He is still your Creator. He still owns you. Whether you have a strong connection with Him or not, He is still your God. So you know what? Acknowledge Him and fear Him. Because He is there. You can never run away. You can never avoid. You can never get away from Him. Then what's the way? To Him. You are nothing without Him. So fear Him. Why fear Allah? Why fear your Lord? Because unless and until people fear Allah, they cannot reform themselves. They cannot give the rights of others. They cannot establish justice in society. Justice is impossible. Fairness is impossible unless and until there is fear of accountability. There is fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the reason why Allah says, اِتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمْ Fear your Lord. Worship Him alone. Abide by His commands. Fear His punishment, lest you disobey Him. اِتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمْ And who is He? الَّذِي خَلَقَكُمْ Why should you not fear Him? He is the one who created you. He is the one who made you. From what? مِن نَفْسٍ وَاحِدًا From a single soul. From a single person. Who is that single soul? Adam Allah created the first man, Adam. And you, O people, regardless of which age or which place you belong to, you are the children of who? Adam. خَلَقَكُمْ مِن نَفْسٍ وَاحِدًا All human beings have descended from one father, Adam. وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا And he created from it its spouse. Ha. Grammatically is feminine. Ha refers to feminine. And who or hua is for masculine. 
Now why is ha being used for Adam a.s.? He was a man. Ha is being used because it is referring to nafsin wahida. Nafsin wahida. And the word nafs in the Arabic language is feminine. I'm sure you have learned about the different kinds of feminine. Some words are considered feminine. Why? Because that's how they've always been used. It doesn't mean that if it refers to a person that it's a woman. No, the word is feminine. Because in many languages, for example, I've heard that even in French, every noun is either male or female, which is why you will refer to it in that manner. Now does that mean that a table is a man and a chair is a woman? No. Okay? So, nafsin wahida, a single soul, refers to Adam a.s. وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا And from that soul, from that nafs, he created its zawj. What is zawj? One of a pair. In living beings, it refers to the spouse. So for a man, it would be a woman. And for a woman, it would be a man. This is what is zawj is. Because if you think about it, خَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا He created from its pair, its mate, its spouse. And then from them, وَبَثَّ مِنْهُمَا رِجَالًا كَثِيرًا وَنِسَاءً from them he dispersed, he scattered throughout the earth many men and many women. And that is only possible when that couple can reproduce. And when can a couple reproduce? When one is male and the other is female. If both are male, they cannot have children. If both are female, they cannot have children. So Allah created a man, from that man he created a woman. And from them too, Allah created the rest of humanity. Now the question is, how did Allah make Hawa from Adam? How is that possible? It is possible. Because we learn in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said that Hawa was created from the rib of Adam ﷺ. And in explanation of that, he said that woman was created from a rib. So Hawa was created from what? From the rib of Adam ﷺ. And this is something that's not difficult to understand. Because every cell, every part of the body, okay, what does that have? It's DNA, right? It has cells. And cells can reproduce, correct? Which is why, for example, stem cells, they're used for doing so many things that are beneficial for people, for treatment, for growth, okay, like for various treatments. So, خَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا If Allah can create Adam السلام, from mud, then he can create Hawa from some matter that was taken from Adam's body. Now the question is that why did Allah create Hawa from matter that was taken from Adam's body? Why not create Hawa from mud just like Adam was created from mud? You know why? Because then there would be a constant competition between the male and the female. A competition that the mud from which man was made is better. No, the mud from which the woman was made is better. No, the fact is that all of you are from the same origin. Like we learned earlier, بَعْضُكُمْ مِنْ You are of one another. We are of the same species. We are one. We are one people. So, وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا He created from it its spouse, its mate. And... The Prophet ﷺ in the hadith, he said that woman was created from a rib. Verily, the most curved portion of the rib is its upper part. Meaning, the rib is curved. It's not a straight bone, but rather it is curved. So if you should try to straighten it, then what will happen? 
you will break it. And if you leave it as it is, then it will remain crooked. Meaning it will remain as is. What does this mean? That don't try to change the form of the rib. Okay? Let it be a rib. If you straighten it, you're going to break it. You're going to destroy it. Likewise, a woman is a woman. Don't try to make her into a man. Okay? She has her own nature. She is different. So accept her as she is. And every individual should be treated in this way. Accept them the way they are. Don't try to forcefully bend them. Forcefully change them. Because if you force them, you're going to destroy them. Like if there is a child, and they are writing with their right hand, and you're forcing them, no, no, I want you to be able to write with the left hand, because I like people who write with the left hand. So you force the child to write with the left hand. Is he going to be able to write comfortably? No. It's going to affect him. So don't force something on someone that they cannot take, that they're not made for. So likewise, a woman is a woman, a man is a man. Accept a woman as she is, accept the man as he is. And realize that both men and women are from the same origin. So there should be no competition. They are supposed to complement one another, not compete with each other. So وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا وَبَثَّ مِنْهُمَا بَثَّ from بَثَّ بَثَّ is to scatter and to basically spread, to scatter like for example dust particles. Okay, They're scattered everywhere. If a glass shatters, then the pieces will scatter everywhere. So وَبَثَّ مِنْهُمَا He dispersed from Adam and Hawa رِجَالًا plural of رَجُلْ كَثِيرًا many وَنِسَاءً and women meaning and also many women. If you think about it, you go to any place on the earth, whether it is the most snowy and cold mountains, or it is the hottest place in a desert, or it's the thickest rainforests, or it's a place where you know, more than half the year you have winters, and you have minus 40 degrees, minus 60 degrees almost sometimes, but yet, who will you find there? People. Isn't that so? You find people everywhere. You don't find birds everywhere, okay? Or the same kind of birds everywhere. No, you don't find elephants everywhere. You don't find rats everywhere. You don't find different creatures all over the earth. There are certain places that they belong because they can only survive in certain climates, certain areas. But we see that human beings, no matter where you go, you will find people. You will find people. And it's amazing that the earth is so huge and it's covered by people. How many people are there in the world today? Seven billion people. Imagine, seven billion people currently live on this world. Imagine how many people have lived before. All of them came from who? Adam and Hawa. They all came from Adam and Hawa. Isn't this a miracle? It's amazing. Two people, their children, their children, and the whole earth is full of people. And when Allah has created Adam and Hawa, and when He has dispersed people all over the earth, then He has also given them certain laws to live by. Certain rules to live by. Certain etiquette that they must observe. Because if they will not observe those etiquette, those rules, then what will happen? It will lead to disorder. Injustice. So to avoid that, we have to follow the law of Allah. This is why Allah says, وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ
fear Allah. Again, Allah says, have fear of Allah. Why? Because without the fear of Allah, justice cannot be done. Without the fear of Allah, people cannot fulfill their responsibilities. They cannot give the rights to others. So fear Allah, الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ The one by whom you demand. تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ تَسَاءَلُونَ is from سِينْ hamzalam from the word su'al. And what does su'al mean? Question. Demand. Claim. Tasa'ul is to demand from one another. So for example, a brother is demanding his rights from his brother. A child is demanding his rights from his parents. Okay? Parents are demanding their rights from who? From their children. Cousins are demanding their rights from one another. Or friends or co-workers, they demand rights from one another. Isn't that so? Employees demand their rights from the employers. Correct? We see that everyone is fighting for their rights. They're demanding their rights. And those who believe in Allah, what do they say? For the sake of Allah, give me what I deserve. For the sake of Allah, give me my right. So, الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ What this means is, that in His name, you demand rights from one another. In His name, you ask each other, you seek each other, you make contracts with one another, you make promises with one another. Now for example, marriage. How does it happen? When one asks for the hand of the other. Alright? And then finally, the contract is made. In whose name? By making who a witness? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Many contracts are made, and people testify to their faith in who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or they say that by Allah, I will fulfill this. Okay? By God, I will fulfill this. So, الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ bihi. You make demands from one another, you ask from one another, you make contracts with one another, pledges with one another, using whose name? Allah's name. And when Allah's name is mentioned at such an occasion, then what's the point? There are two benefits. One is that a person is making Allah a witness. Okay? That he's showing to people that look, I make Allah a witness, I'm making this contract, I'm serious about it, I will fulfill my duties, my obligations. Okay? So for example, a husband and wife getting married. Allah is made a witness. Obviously there are witnesses among the people as well. But Allah's name is also mentioned. Why? To show that we fear Allah and we acknowledge the responsibilities that Allah has laid upon us. And out of His fear, out of being dutiful to Him, we will fulfill our responsibilities and our duties. So this is one benefit. And the other benefit that is when Allah's name is mentioned, then you are basically making the other fearful of Allah. Okay? That, look, Allah knows. Allah is watching. So do what you have to do. So make sure you fulfill your responsibility. Okay? Like for example, if you make a deal with your brother, and you involve your father in it, or you involve your mother in it, why is the mother there? What's the role of the mother or the father? To make sure that your brother will do what he's supposed to do. And you do what you're supposed to do. So these are the two benefits. So, أَلَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ you demand your rights. In His name, you make promises, pledges. You use His name. You know, people say all the time, for God's sake, right? do this, or don't do this, or stop this, or get up already. We use Allah's name all the time, in so many matters. You know, whether it's personal, social, financial, Allah's name is used. So, 
Allah is telling us that fear Him. You use His name all the time when you deal with one another. So why do you forget Him when it comes time to act? When it comes time to fulfill your responsibility, why do you forget Him? So what the الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامِ And the relationships. What does it mean by this? وَالْأَرْحَامِ Arham is the plural of Rahim. And what is the Rahim? The womb. The womb where the baby grows. Okay, in the mother. And we see that it's the womb through which relationships are established. Isn't that so? That if a child develops in the womb, in the uterus of a woman, then whose child is he or she? That woman's child. Okay? And whoever made her pregnant, then that child is also his. If there are you know, subsequent pregnancies one after the other, then all those children who have gone in the same womb, they're related as well. Correct? Even if the father is different, they are related to one another. So we see that through wombs, blood relationships are established. It is what connects people. You know, blood relationships. This is what connects people. Maternal or paternal relationships. So arham, what does it refer to? It refers to the relationships. Whether they are maternal or paternal. Through the mother's side or through the father's side. Now, Allah says over here, then what Allah Fear Allah in whose name you demand your rights from each other and also the relationships. Meaning, also fear. Also fear Allah concerning the relationships. You have fear of Allah that He will hold you accountable. Have fear of Allah even with regards to the relationships. And what is taqwa with regards to their relationships, with regards to your relatives? That you give them their due and you don't cut off from them. You look after them, you are concerned for them, you maintain good ties with them. Because other relationships, you know, people working together, people going to the same class, uh, being friends, these you can choose. Isn't that so? You can choose to be someone's friend. You can choose to be close to someone. But can you choose your mother? Can you choose your sibling? If you get married to someone and he has a mother, you can't choose her. If he has a father, you can't choose him. He's got a sister or a brother, you can't choose them. So they are relatives from a person's mother's side, from a person's father's side, through your spouse, which Allah gives you. Which Allah gives you. He decides them for you. You have no choice concerning them. You have no choice concerning them. And this is the reason why sometimes it is difficult to maintain ties with them. Because if there is a person when you know you are with them for some time, you're studying in the same class, you know them for a few years, and then you weren't really close with them, you move on, you go your way, they go their way, you forget about them, whatever. But if it's your brother or your sister, even if you're not living in the same house, can you forget about them? Can you ignore them? Can you just exclude them from your life? If you're very angry with a relative, can you just exclude them from your life? You cannot. Can you cut off from them? No, you cannot. So this is the reason why relatives become a huge test for people. Even the closest relatives. Even the closest relatives can be a huge test. So this is why Allah says, and also fear Allah concerning the relatives of yours. Because you will be asked about them. You know, on the Day of Judgment, 
people will have to cross the bridge every single person wa imminkum illa wariduha every single person is going to have to cross the bridge and that bridge how sharp is it as sharp as a sword how fine is it as fine as a hair everyone has to cross that bridge some people will cross it at the speed of lightning other people will cross it at a slightly slower pace people will cross it at various speeds depending on the level of their piety depending on the level of their righteousness on their good conduct and we see that on the sirat there are like hooks okay in the hadith we learn about this hooks that will come and like attack people because of which they'll fall and one of the reasons will be because of cutting the relationships that those who cut off their relationships they will not be able to cross the sirat easily those who don't maintain good ties with their relatives will not be able to cross the sirat easily it will be very risky very very difficult because you see in this life also it's as though you're going on a sirat okay that you're working so hard and their relatives you know they say something they do something because of that you're so hurt you're so annoyed you're so disturbed but either you have to bear with that challenge now and pass the test and if you don't do it then you'll suffer on the day of judgment so fear allah concerning the arham as well wal arham another meaning of this is this is connected with tasa'aluna that you tasa'aluna bihi وَبِلْ أَرْحَامِ That you ask one another, you make demands from one another in the name of Allah and also in the name of your relationships. Meaning that sometimes you say for the sake of Allah, do this. And sometimes you say for the sake of your mother, for the sake of your father, for the sake of your family. Isn't that so? Like sometimes... Someone will say, Allah is watching you, get up and pray. And another time someone will say, your mother has told you so many times, it's your mother, how many times is she supposed to tell you, get up and pray already, get up and do the dishes already. Why are they saying your mother? Okay, but they're saying that, look, she is your mother, have some respect for the relationship that exists between you and her. Have some respect for that relationship. So many times, people will use the relationship that exists between them and others as a means to get their rights. Okay? Like they will say, you know what, since I'm your mother, you have to listen to me. Okay? And sometimes people will say, you know what, I'm your only daughter, so please, I'm your only daughter. If I'm your daughter, if I'm your daughter, then do this for me. People say such things, right? I'm your only sister, for the sake of your only sister, for the sake of your older sister. People say such kind of things, right? So you use the name of your relatives, okay? You use this relationship to get so many benefits. But what do you do with the relationships? When you want something, you say, Oh, my dear brother. Huh? And you say, Mom, I love you. Mom, Dad. What would I do without you? And you say such things, 
But when it comes time to really fulfill your duty to your mother and your father and your brother, then what do you do? So fear Allah. الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَيْكُمْ رَقِيبًا Indeed, Allah is ever watchful over you. The word kana does not mean was over here. When the word kana appears with the names and attributes of Allah, then it gives the meaning of always was, is, and will be. So Allah is ever عَلَيْكُمْ رَقِيبًا on you, ever watching. Raqib is from the root letters Raqaf Ba and Raqaba is the neck. What is Raqaba? What is Raqaba? Neck. Fakku Raqaba. And Raqib is someone who looks at or who keeps his watch on the neck of someone. Like if you're looking at the neck of someone constantly, what does it mean? You're following them wherever they're going. You're watching everything they're doing. You have a close eye on them. So Raqib is one who is alert and vigilant himself and also in observing the other. Raqib is the overseer from whom nothing is hidden. Allah is always watching you. And you know if somebody is watching your neck, what does it mean? They're watching you from behind. That sometimes you don't remember, but they're there. It's like there's a camera right behind you. You forget it's there, but it's following you wherever you're going, whatever you're saying, whatever you're doing, it's following you. You can't hide, you forget, but it's there. Likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always watching us. We forget, but it doesn't mean He's watching us. So, إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَيْكُمْ رَقِيبًا He watches you at all times, in every situation, every circumstance that you're in. And He takes care of you constantly. He observes your deeds. So when He's watching you, have some shame. Really, have some shame. If you know that somebody is watching you, a camera is following you everywhere, you have the decency to at least speak nicely and at least you know, behave well and control yourself. At least show some good attitude. You know, say some kind words. But unfortunately, this kind of fear doesn't even exist you know, today in people anymore. That on camera, people will do the most absurd things. They will say the most absurd things. They will act in a way that is so foolish just to make some money or just to help someone else get richer. Right? So anyway... The point is that if someone's watching you, you better be alert. Who's watching every single one of us? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَيْكُمْ رَقِيبًا Now this ayah, all of us have heard it. How many of you know this ayah? Or you think you know this ayah? Like it sounds too familiar because you've heard it over and over and over again. Isn't it so? At a Jumu'ah khutbah, at you know someone's wedding, at so many occasions, at a lecture, you hear this verse at the beginning. Because the Prophet ﷺ, it was his habit that when he would give a sermon, whether it was the marriage one or any other, when he would address people, he would recite this verse. Why do you think he would recite this verse? Because if you look at this verse, what are we reminded of? We are reminded of, first of all, taqwa of Allah. Isn't it so? Ya ayyuhan nas, ittaqu rabbakum. Fear Allah. Because without the fear of Allah, we can't obey Him. Without the fear of Allah, we cannot be fair to one another. Secondly, we are reminded in this ayah about the fact that all of us people are the same family. We are all one big family. Because our origin is the same. Adam and Hawa. So that means that no person, no race, 
No citizen of a country is better than any other human being. If you have the passport of one country, it doesn't mean that you're better compared to the people who don't have the passport of that country. Correct? Likewise, if there is a person who has beautiful figure, has a beautiful face, that doesn't make them any better compared to a person who doesn't have that much of a beautiful face. Because all of us are what? One big family. This is why the Prophet ﷺ said very clearly that no white person has superiority over a black one. And no black one has superiority over a white one. Except for the one who has, what do we learn in the Qur'an? The one who has taqwa. إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ The most honorable of you in the sight of Allah is who? The one who has taqwa. So this ayah reminds us of who we are. Who we are. And then this ayah reminds us of the fact that we use the name of Allah so much. But when we use it, why aren't we conscious of Him? When we use Allah's name, you know, we're eating Bismillah. We're dressing up Bismillah. We're getting in the car Bismillah. Isn't that so? How many times do you say Bismillah? So many times. Every little thing. Bismillah, Bismillah, Bismillah. There are adhkar throughout the day. We say them, but why aren't we conscious of Him when we're dealing with people? Remember that your relationship with Allah is not just that which is in private. Okay? Meaning, don't think that everything's good if you have a good relationship with Allah. No. Good relationship with Allah will be manifested in good relationship with people. Remember that. Your fear of Allah will be manifested in how you deal with people. Your hope your trust in Allah will manifest in how you deal with people. Your awareness, yaqeen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names and attributes will manifest in how you deal with situations in life. And how do these situations come in life? Through people, right? We're always interacting with people. So, this is something that's very important. So fear Him. And then this ayah, we're also reminded that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, who is watching? Allah is watching. إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَيْكُمْ And with regards to Al-Arham, a man said to the Prophet ﷺ, that, O Prophet, direct me to a deed which may admit me to Jannah. Upon this, the Prophet ﷺ said, worship Allah and never associate anything with Him in worship. Establish salah, pay zakah, and strengthen the ties of kinship. Strengthen the ties of kinship. Al-Arham. Fear Allah concerning the Arham. Wa'atul yatama. And give to the orphans. Yatama is a plural of yatim. Who is yatim? A minor. A minor meaning a child who has not yet reached the age of puberty. Whether he is ten or she is six or she is one month or one day or not even born yet, eventually to be born, okay? A minor, someone who has not yet reached the age of puberty, and their father is not there. They have passed away. Their father is dead. This is who a yatim is. Yatim is not someone whose mother has died, but rather the father has died. Okay? This is what the term yatim applies to. So, give to the orphans. What? Amwalahum, their properties. Which properties? The properties that they have inherited from their fathers. 
That for example, the father died, leaving behind a huge estate. And that estate goes to his one son, who happens to be six years old. Okay? And let's say the mother is there, or she's not even there, or she wishes to get married or something, and the child inherits a huge property. So what does Allah say? Give to the orphans their property. What they have inherited from their fathers, it is theirs. So give it to them. Don't take it yourself. This command is being given to who? To who? To all the people. Whether it is the mother, okay? Or it is, you can say, the other relatives of the family, the guardians of that orphan child. Okay? Because in the Arab society, it was very common that if a man died leaving behind children, okay, then his brothers would come, or his male relatives, whether they're cousins or uncles, they would come and take all of his property, leaving nothing for the orphan children. Leaving nothing for the wife even, for the widow, nothing at all. So Allah says, وَآتُوا الْيَتَامَ أَمْوَالَهُمْ Give to the orphans their properties. Okay, the child is very young, he cannot manage it, but still it belongs to him or her. You have to give it to them. Now it may happen that the widow says, that oh this child six year old, what does he need? What does he know? So you know what? I'm going to keep everything. Everything's mine. Nothing's going to the child. I'm going to use everything. And as the child grows up, and he says, I need money to go to university. And the mother says, go work. Go get a loan. Is that fair? It's not fair. The mother has to give the property that the son inherited from the father. If eventually the son wants to get married, get a house of his own, and the uncles have all the wealth, and he says, please give me my share. They say, no, 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 no. Nothing for you. It was your father's, he's gone, so nothing for you. You have to go get it yourself. No, this is not correct. What they own and what they have inherited, you have to give it to them. And do not exchange the impure with the pure. Khabith refers to that property, that wealth, which is not in a good condition. You can say poor quality. Okay? or old, or outdated, however you want to describe it, bad. Something that people don't want. And what is tayyib? Good. Good quality. Okay? Better value. People want it. So don't exchange the impure with the pure. What does this mean? That you have bad wealth, your house is old, your furniture is broken, okay? And there comes an orphan in your family who happens to be now under your care, and... He owns a house all of a sudden that is in a much better condition. So you say, you know what? We will give our house to the orphan child and we will take his house. Or the orphan child brings with him in your house, you know, nice clothes and maybe the furniture or whatever that comes along with the child, their books. And the guardian says, my son who's of a similar age doesn't have these nice clothes. So you know what? Let me just exchange let me give this orphan child the old shirts that my son used to wear and his new ones can go to my son. No. لَا تَتَبَدَّلُوا الْخَبِيثَ بِالطَّيِّبِ Don't exchange their pure for your impure. That you give them your impure, your bad wealth, and you take their good wealth. And especially why? Because they are children. Who's going to speak for them? Who's going to speak for them? Today, in this society, we don't see this that much that orphans are being taken care of in houses of people. 
under the guardianship of a relative or someone, usually such children end up in orphanages. But we see that even amongst relatives, that if a relative dies, let's say the son dies and he has a child, so the child goes to the grandmother, and the grandmother begins to exchange her evil with his good. This is wrong. Or the aunt or the uncle. This is not correct. Whatever belongs to the orphan child is his. So you have to keep it as his. You cannot take it. وَلَا تَتَبَدَّلُوا الْخَبِيثَ بِالطَّيِّبِ وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا And do not consume أَمْوَالَهُمْ Their wealth إِلَىٰ أَمْوَالِكُمْ Adding to your wealth. Meaning do not take their property and add it to your property. That what does a child know? What will he remember? What can he do? He doesn't know anything. This wealth is going to go away. So you know what? Let me take all of it and I will have more. Don't do that. إِنَّهُ كَانَ حُوبًا كَبِيرًا Indeed, it is ever a great sin. What does kana mean over here again? Ever. Meaning this is a really bad sin, no matter what situation it is. What is taking somebody else's property without their permission? Taking somebody else's property without their permission. This is a really, really evil, bad sin. What is huban kabira? Hub is from the root letters hawa And huba literally means parents, siblings, and children. So who are they? Your relatives. It is said, Inna li hubatun. I have a family. Okay? And hub is used for a sin that is against who? One's relatives. So for example, children disobeying their parents. Is that hub? Yes. Likewise, parents being abusive to their children. Is that hub? Yes. Parents neglecting the rights of their children, the needs of their children. Is that hub? Yes. Siblings being disrespectful to one another, cheating one another, lying to one another, hitting one another, fighting one another. Is that hub? Yes. So hub is basically what kind of sin? Related to? Hmm? Family life. Against relatives. Okay? And hub also means to scold someone, to yell at someone. So when you're fighting with each other, then the mother comes and yells at you. Because hub is such a sin which is against relatives and the perpetrator is worthy of being scolded, reprimanded. So Allah says, إِنَّهُ كَانَ حُبًا كَبِيرًا This is a major sin, a big sin. Meaning it's not something small. What is not something small? Consuming the property of the orphan. This is a major sin. So what do we see in this ayah? We see in this ayah first of all about the permissibility of being guardian of an orphan and his property. Meaning if someone becomes the guardian of an orphan and also manages the property of the orphan, is that something permissible? Yes it is. In fact, it is something that is highly what? Rewarded. Okay? It's highly rewarded for. In a hadith we learned that the Prophet ﷺ, he joined two of his fingers and he said, I and the supporter of the orphan are together in paradise like this. I and the one who looks after the orphan will be like this in Jannah. Meaning together. Together. This is how virtuous, this is how righteous this act is. Looking after an orphan. Because looking after an orphan is not an easy thing. Not an easy thing in many ways. First of all, it's a financial burden. Secondly, having another child in the house is not something that's easy. Okay? And thirdly, a child who is 
living in unusual circumstances. Meaning all of a sudden, the circumstances have changed for him. Then he will not act in a good way. He will throw tantrums. He will show his anger. He will show his frustration in different ways. It will come out in various ways. Recently, my husband had to travel for almost a month. He was away. And I saw the difference in my son. That in just a few weeks, how he had changed. Not listening to me, crying at every little thing, throwing tantrums, and crying that I miss Baba, I miss Baba, I want to go to Baba, I want him to come back. Not cooperating at all. Not eating, not sleeping on time, sleeping in in the morning. And I kept telling myself, it's okay, only a week left. Only a week left. And I was having a discussion with someone over this and they were saying, at least we know that he's coming back. Think about the children whose fathers are not coming back. They're gone. They're dead. At least we have some hope, right? That eventually my son will be okay. Eventually he'll see his dad and he'll be fine. But think about those children whose dads are not coming back home. They are gone. It will disturb them emotionally. And when children are disturbed, that disturbance it displays in bad behavior. You know, in many ways. Because children are not able to deal with stress. They're not able to express their emotions properly. So they show anger, they scream, they hit, they cry, they fight, they don't listen, they don't cooperate, they will not eat. So you need a lot of sabr to deal with who? Orphans. You need a lot of patience. This is the reason why looking after an orphan is not something that is small. It is something big. It is something which is highly rewarded. But you know, that if something brings great results, then there's also a huge risk. The higher the profit, the higher the risk. Okay? And the higher the expectations are from you. And this is the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals these verses, telling us of what we are not allowed to do. First of all, we cannot consume the property of the orphan. If there is an innocent child under our care, what belongs to him is his. We cannot take it. And when the time comes to give them their wealth, we have to give it to them. And we're not allowed to exchange their good property for our bad property. Then we also learn in this ayah about the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala towards the weak of the society who are unable to speak for themselves. Who don't even know what's happening in their lives. An orphan, what does he know? What does he understand as to what's happening in his life? One of our relatives, they had four children, four daughters. And the wife was expecting the fifth child. Two of them were twins. Okay, The four children, two of them were twins. They were driving. They used to live in Saudi. They were driving. They had a car accident. And both the mother and the father died immediately. And who survived? The four daughters. How old were they? The oldest was like six years old or eight years old or something. And the youngest was still nursing. All of a sudden, four children living such a happy life became orphans. And then they moved to their grandparents' house. As they moved to their grandparents' house, obviously their things also came with them. Right? So when a child comes, they bring along with them their stuff. And if there is someone who's living in your house, and they have brought in their things, then you have to be very careful. You have to be very careful that what is theirs should remain theirs. 
you should not think that I have a right over it. May Allah reward the grandparents who taught those grandchildren so well, who trained them so well. When I went to Pakistan, I met them. And two of those girls are now married, they have children. And they look so happy. They're happy, mashallah. Actually one of them, not the second one, the first one is. So it is very difficult to look after orphans. And at that time, if you think about it, four little girls, who is going to speak for them? Who is going to demand their rights for them? You know, if you uh, have a bad day at school because a teacher you feel is being biased towards you, who will go and fight for you? Your mother will go, right? Your mother will go. The other day my son, he goes to these classes and the kind of homework that was given to him was too difficult for him to do. So I went and I spoke to the teacher and I, I spoke for my son that this is not right. You have to give him something that's manageable for him. So we worked out a solution that was in the favor of my son. And I was thinking that what about children who don't have someone to speak for them? So who speaks for them? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah reveals in the Qur'an the rights of the orphans. Those who cannot speak, who cannot demand themselves, Allah commands the people that you have to take care of them. And this teaches a very important lesson. That one is that somebody is asking us for something. So we respond. And the other is someone is not able to ask. But their situation, their circumstances, they demand that we do something. So we have to do our part. We have to fulfill our duty, our responsibility. Then we also learn in this ayah, about the fact that the yatim is the owner of his wealth. The yatim is the owner. Even if that child is two years old, he or she is still the owner of his or her wealth. Imagine, a minor can also own property in Islam. A minor can also own property. Okay, he may not be able to make the best financial decisions. This is why he has a guardian over him. Then we also learn from this ayah, about the prohibition of taking someone else's good thing in place of your own bad thing. Okay? That you say, you know, my bag is old or my shoes are old and this person's shoes are new, so let me just exchange and pretend that I got mistaken. Hmm? Like for example, you come to the institute and you see, oh, such nice bathroom slippers. And then you put your shoes in your bag and you're like, "Uh, I lost my shoes, can I just take a pair of bathroom slippers? That's not right. Likewise, if a person you know, comes in one day with flip-flops that are really old and faded and then they leave them at the washroom and they take the nice bright pink slippers because they match their washroom tiles. I hope not. But anyway, if somebody does that, is that correct? No. That you're sitting with someone and they have a highlighter, you have a highlighter. Okay? And yours is old and you see that theirs is in a better condition so you exchange it quickly. Your brother and you are having a snack at the table. He's got a bowl full of poutine and you do too. And he hasn't started his. And you see that his fries are more or he's got more cheese. So you ask him, can you go get a a glass of juice? Or why don't you go get pop? And he goes and you quickly exchange the bowls. Is that correct? No. Do not exchange, do not give your bad thing and take the good in return. No. Because this is deceit. It's treachery. Isn't it so? And treachery is something that a believer does not do. Now with regard to the orphan's wealth, yes, it has to be returned to them. But you know that when people are living in the same house, it's only normal that things will get mixed up eventually. Isn't it so? Like for example, toys. 
if you have two children that belong to different families, but they come to the same place, they have their own toys, but eventually they'll get mixed up. Isn't it so? Like for example, in the grandparents' house, if their cousins that are coming and playing, the toys are there, one toy was brought by one child and the other toy was brought by another, eventually a time will come when all those toys will be mixed up. Right? Likewise food, it will get mixed up. Correct? Which is why many times it happens that if you and your friends buy lunch together, you end up sharing everything because it's easier. Right? You can't say, oh no, no, no. I gave these many dollars and by the way, this pizza is not equally portioned, so let me just cut it with scissors. Let me just get a ruler and you know draw a line and make sure I'm cutting at the right angle. No, that doesn't make sense. Such kind of division is not possible when people are living together. And if you have such division, when people are living together, then life will become very difficult and hearts will become divided. Isn't it? Like for example, in your own house, if your mother says, no, no, I bought this sugar, you're not allowed to use it. Go buy your own sugar. And your sister says, no, this is my pop, I bought it. And the dad says, don't you dare touch that cheesecake. If this starts to happen, then what will happen? Hearts will be divided. Then that's not a family. So we have learned early in Surah Al-Baqarah, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْيَتَامَ قُلْ إِصْلَاحُ لَهُمْ خَيْرٌ وَإِن تُخَالِطُوهُمْ فَإِخْوَانُكُمْ That if you mix your affairs with them, then they're your brothers. So there are some things in which, you know, things will be combined. Their money and your money will mix up. Okay? But Allah knows the muslih from the mufsid. Allah knows the one who is doing this deliberately to get something of the orphans. And Allah knows the one who is sincere in his heart. Right? So at the end of the day, what matters? The intention. That is what matters. We'll conclude over here. Let's listen to the recitation. Just two verses, please. Thank you. By the way, I know that having an orphan in your house these days is not really a possibility for many people. But can we at least take care of the needs of the orphans through some other way? Can we? Have you seen that board back there with those smiley faces? Do you see those people, colored people with those smiley faces? You know what that is? Go check it out. Alhamdulillah, we've started this program of sponsoring orphans. You can either sponsor an orphan yourself, you can give monthly, or you can even you know, pool in with the rest of the people and sponsor orphans. So whatever you can, whether you sponsor an orphan yourself, or pool into that money, to help the orphans, please do participate in this.